Man, what an um, incredibly powerful moment. Um, and like I said, we wanted to send a very clear message about the church's role. I think the Bible calls us to a role in society, to be a prophet. You know, there's a place for government. We've talked about that in Romans chapter 13. There's a place for the civil uh, organization of the government to exist, and there is a place for the church. And the church has a unique role in society, in civil discourse, to be prophetic, to speak into what is going on in our society, what is going on in our culture. And I love how Martin Luther King, the quote that you heard, said it, that now is the time. You know, when you think about the history of our country or you think about what has gone on just in the last few weeks, in the last few years, in the last few decades, and unfortunately centuries, we can now visibly see that time does not heal all wounds. I have said that before. Time doesn't heal all wounds. It's doing the right things over time. It does take time for wounds to heal. Yes, it takes time. But it's doing the right thing over time. And then that leads to healing. And that's why I love about the gospel. I love about the church and our church's role to be prophetic into our culture to do the right thing to do the right thing, to step into the cultural moments that we find ourselves, and particularly into this cultural moment, and do the right thing. Because time itself is not going to solve anything. It is the church. It is you and me, individual believers. We're going to see this in the text today, having right beliefs and right practices, right beliefs and right behaviors. If we do right beliefs and right behaviors over time, then we have a chance to see healing occur. So if you have a Bible today, once you open it up in Romans chapter 15, we're just continuing in our Romans series, and I just love how, you know, when you're preaching through a, a book in the Bible, you just lay it out, and then those texts that are there, that's what you talk on, and so sometimes it forces you into things that maybe you wouldn't have thought about before, or you wouldn't have communicated before, and, and this text has been laid out for a while for me to teach on, and it's so amazing to me, it's almost like there's a God, that this text can apply directly into our cultural moment that we find ourselves in and our role as a church as Paul's going to show what he was doing and how the Roman church, the church in Rome, was living and what they were doing and what Paul's purpose in communicating to them was and how we can listen to what he said to them and how it applies to us today as the church and what I, my hope, honestly, my hope as a pastor for our church. So let's jump in. Romans chapter 15. I'm going to be in verse 14 through 21. So that's our text today. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. Let me start with verse 14, and I'll read to 16, and then we'll back up and talk about it. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, 
to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that, somebody say, so that. All right, if you're watching at home, all right, if you're even driving down the street, wherever you're at, you can, you can talk back to me, all right? I know it's through a screen, but you can still talk about it. Let's try that again. So that, so that, that's the purpose statement, right? So that, now listen to this, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a second. Paul is a minister, He's a minister to the Gentile people, and in this particular letter, he's writing to the Roman people or the church that is in Rome, primarily made up of Gentiles. That was further away from Jerusalem, so it was primarily made up of Gentiles, not Jewish believers. And so Paul is writing to them, and he is saying, this is why I wrote to you. This is, this is my whole purpose, and what I'm trying to do with you is I'm trying to make sure that you are an acceptable offering to God. He says, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. That's why I had you say that phrase, so that. And so the purpose of what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to make sure that the Roman believers, the Christians in Rome, are acceptable, are an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That word sanctified is just a big theological word that means to make holy. So Paul was doing everything that he was doing with the Christians in Rome. He was writing to them to make sure that they were acceptable in the sight of God that they were made holy. Now, now here's what you need to understand. It's through, it's through the Holy Spirit, it's, or it's by the Holy Spirit, through Paul. So the Holy Spirit's the one that's doing it. Paul never mentions his words about that, but it's happening through Paul. And that's the age-old question, is it God or is it me? Yes, it is God in me. It is God through me. But here's where I can really relate to what Paul is saying here. Paul is explaining to the people his pastoral purpose. He's saying, my purpose as a pastor to you is to present to God a people that are acceptable. And that is the pastor's purpose. In fact, if I was going to make that a point today, it'd be a great one because they would have a lot of alliteration in it, all right? The pastor's purpose is to present to God a people. Now think about that. The pastor's purpose is to present to God a people, a group of people, an acceptable group of people, or a, a people that God would accept. And that only happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's why I'm laying this over as the purpose, because now I'm going to back up and explain what Paul was saying. The pastor's purpose is to present God a people. Think about it like this. As a parent, and I've said this often, pastoring is a lot like parenting. Parenting is a lot like pastoring. God gives children to me as a gift. He gives children to us as a gift. And then we parent them, and then we are giving them back to God. Who they are after he gave them to us is our gift back to him. Same with your life. God gives you breath. God gives you life. That's a gift to you. And then how you live your life is a gift back to him. Well, the same is true when it comes to pastoring. God has given pastors a gift. 
A gift to lead a people. The people are the gift. And it's the pastor's job or the pastor's purpose to make sure those people are presentable to God. Now, that's a hard job. And to be honest with you, it's not a job I chose. Because I don't think any person in their right mind would choose it. I'm just being straight with you. Like pastoring y'all, I would not choose that. Let me say it to you like this. Being accountable for y'all to God, I wouldn't choose that if I was sane. And what I mean by that is this. How you look to God is partly my job. So I'm now responsible if, if I'm responsible for whether or not you're presentable. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I have a responsibility to make sure you're presentable. And if I was sane, I wouldn't sign up for that. Especially our church, we got thousands of people. But that's why it's a calling. It's a calling. I didn't choose to be a pastor. God chose me to be a pastor. And that's why one of my life verses is Jeremiah chapter one, verses five through 10. I won't read the whole thing to you, but God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. I set you apart in your mother's womb. And I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah, I guess I will just say it all to you. And then Jeremiah says, I can't speak, Lord. I'm just a child. And God says, don't say I can't speak. And then God touches his mouth. And then he tells him this. I've appointed you as a prophet over the nations to do, and he says six things. Six things. And four of those six have to do with tearing down. He says tearing down, uprooting, destroying. And then two of those things are positive, building and planting and building. So two-thirds of Jeremiah's ministry was tearing down and destroying. One-third was planting and building up. Well, that's the pastor's purpose. That's why I say it's one of my favorite verses. The reason why no sane person would want to be a pastor is because it is not fun to have to spend two-thirds of your ministry tearing things down. Two-thirds of your time with a group of people tearing down strongholds in their life. Working with the Holy Spirit to tear down bad thoughts or bad systems or corrupt things that have been poured into them. So two-thirds of the ministry of, this is why Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He cried a lot as a pastor. I probably cried more as a pastor than any other thing. And why am I belaboring this? Because I want you to hear my heart today. I want you to hear my heart. And why I'm saying that is because I'm accountable for whether or not our church is presentable to God. This is why James says in James chapter three, I believe it is, not very many of you should be teachers because you're gonna be held accountable. Not teachers in the school sense, but he's talking about teachers of the word of God because you're gonna be held accountable to a higher standard. So I want you to hear my heart today as a pastor as we dig into what Paul's saying here. Paul says to them, I'm satisfied with you. Your, yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. Man, what a great thing to say about the people that you're pastoring. 
You're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. And you're able to instruct one another. That right there is our mission and vision in a verse. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure you're full of goodness. What is that? Good behavior, you're, you're living right, and you're full of knowledge. What is that? Good beliefs. So there's two primary things I want you to see that when it comes to a healthy church, two things that make up a healthy church, and, and flow with me here. I'm gonna give you some, some theological words. I've said these before, but I want you to understand them. Again, because I'm responsible to make sure you understand. Two things I want you to stand. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. I've used these words before, but I want you to understand. The word orthos, Greek, it means straight. So when you go to the orthodontist, they're trying to make your teeth straight, all right? So the word ortho means straight. Doxy means belief, praxy means practice. So as a pastor, what I'm responsible for is to make sure our church has right beliefs, and right behaviors. That's what I'm responsible for. Right beliefs and right behavior. I could use these two words that he says, full of knowledge, full of goodness. And here's why this is so important. Theology matters. Because if you have wrong beliefs, then you will have wrong behaviors. So people say, well, theology doesn't really matter. You better believe it matters. It matters greatly. And if I, was, if, if I was preaching the word of God contradictory to what it's saying, you should leave. If I'm not spousing right beliefs, and that's a high standard. It's right at this point in time, my wife's like, don't say that because people might leave. That's fine. I have, to, I have to bear the responsibility as the primary communicator of our church to make sure I'm teaching you right beliefs. Also, we have to make sure that you're filled with right practice, right behaviors. And here's what I know. Bad behaviors flow out of bad beliefs. Bad behaviors flow out of bad beliefs. How do I know that? How many of you had bad behaviors that you've tried to change? I know I have. Like, as of today. But the problem is if we just attack the behavior, if we just do a behavior, this is why shock therapy never works. I wish it did. I wish every time I saw a chocolate chip cookie, I could just, you know, somebody could shock me. I would just figure out a way around it, right? I, I, it's not behavior modification. Behavior modification only comes out of belief modification because behavior flows out of belief. And so as a pastor, again, my job, our job as pastors, as leaders in the church, as parents, your job is to make sure your kids have right beliefs and they have right behaviors. But you'll never change the behaviors if you don't first attack the beliefs that support them. You'll never change the belief, you'll never change the behaviors if you just try to scratch the surface, right? If you just try to, this is the difference between fruit and root. Fruit is the behavior, root is the belief. This is why the Bible talks about strongholds. So strongholds is the belief system. Sin comes out of that. So, so many times we try to change our thoughts 
We try to change, you know, I don't wanna think about this or I don't wanna do this. We try to kind of take this outside in approach and the Bible says, listen, the stronghold is the whole structural system behind that. And a lot of us, unfortunately, were born into some really bad beliefs. And so therefore, we have bad behaviors. But here's Paul, which is crazy to me. Paul says, I'm satisfied. And the word satisfied there means I'm convinced. I'm persuaded that you're full of both of those. And you're also able to instruct one another. That's, that's our vision part. Our, our mission is to grow people. So that's the behavior and belief aspect. Then we want you to multiply that. That's the vision part. So our job is not really done as a church until not only you have right behavior and right belief, but now you are multiplying those into other people. That's how you know you actually have them. So you never know as a pastor if you've done your job until it's generational. You never know you've done your job right. Again, think about parenting. You know, you wanna know how you know you're a good parent? See what kind of kids your kids raise, right? See what kind of kids your kids raise. It becomes generational at that point because here's what I know. I can say what I know, but I reproduce what I am. And if I'm reproducing bad beliefs and bad behaviors, then that's who I am. So our vision as a church is to multiply right practice, right belief, into you so that you can multiply it into others. And that's why this COVID national pandemic, uh, you know, international pandemic that has happened has really only amplified the real goal of the church because we haven't been able to meet in person in large gatherings for months. And so this is a real test of our church to see how well we've been doing for the last 10 years. If we've been doing our job well for the last 10 years, then the work of the church is continuing because you've been multiplying right belief and right behavior in your homes. Now, I think we've got room to grow. We don't know when the next crisis is gonna be, but we better be ready for it. So now let's apply this again to some very specific cultural things. You know, there are some evil practices in our society, and there has been, particularly in the American context, for over 400 years. The evil practices of racism and slavery, injustice, so many practices that the church needs to speak into that the church needs to say, hey, that's wrong practice. But again, the real problem, don't forget, is not just the practice or the behavior, it's the belief that undergirds it. And so the church's job is not to start there, but to start here and to help people understand the right belief system that every human being, regardless of grace, uh, race, is created in the image of God. That every human being has dignity and worth. 
And so as a church, it's an important issue for us to address. You see how this, this set of scriptures applies to this in a very culturally specific way? Let me say it to you. I haven't done my job as a church, as a pastor to our church, if I haven't shown you how to have right belief and right practice when it comes to racism. When it comes to racism. And this is where sometimes well-meaning Christians will say, well, we don't really need to speak to racism. We just need to preach the gospel. We just need to stick to preaching the gospel. That's, that's the job of the church. Just stick to preaching the gospel. And to that, I would say, yes, and. Yes, we need to preach the gospel. Yes, but we also, or and, let me say get my conjunctions correct, and we need to show how the gospel informs how we behave. Let me, let me show you that in the text. Look at verse 17. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to, what's that next word there? Obedience, let's try that again. To uh, what, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to what? Obedience. So Paul says, I'm proud of my work that Christ has accomplished to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Obedience was the goal. And then he says this, by word and deed. By word and deed. Verse 19, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So hear me. Yes, Paul preached the gospel. Yes, as pastors, we preach the gospel. We start there. But then we also have to take it a step further to show how the gospel informs our obedience. So Paul said he could fulfill his ministry in that region because they had come to obedience. So he didn't, let me say it to you like this. Paul didn't just show up to an area and preach the gospel and then made sure people were saved and then he moved on. He would come to an area, stay there for a while, preach the gospel, people would get saved, and he would stay with them long enough to make sure they were living right practice, right beliefs in light of the gospel he preached. This is why he says, by word and deed. Now, let me break that down. Again, you know I love prepositions, all right? In the original Greek, what's interesting to me, he says to bring the Gentiles to obedience, and then there's a, a, a slash mark. It says in the ESV, in English, it says by word and deed. What's interesting, though, in the Greek, the word by is the preposition. It's not there in the Greek. So in the Greek, it reads like this, to bring the Gentiles to obedience slash word and deed. So there's two ways you can read this. You can read it as though Paul is saying how he brought them to obedience was by, preposition of means, by Paul preaching word and deeds doing. You can read it like that, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's wrong 
That's how it reads when you read it in English. But what's interesting to me is that preposition's not there in the Greek. So another way you could read it is like this. Paul's saying he brought the Gentiles to obedience, and then he says, what is obedience? It's almost like you could put a parenthesis around obedience. And he says, obedience, word and deed. So they were obedient in believing the word, and they were obedient in deeds. And then in verse 19, as I read to you, the word by says it twice, by signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That preposition is there in the Greek. So I am of the persuasion of what Paul was saying was he was proud, he was satisfied, he was convinced about the Romans because, or the Christians in Rome because not only did they have right beliefs, orthodoxy, they had right behaviors, orthopraxy. They were living out the implications of the gospel by obeying. Now, think about what Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go into all the world, make disciples. That's the imperative there. By baptizing them and teaching them to, anybody know? Peanut gallery? You may have just spoke to your screen. Sorry, I can't hear you. Teaching them to, some, some translations say observe, some say obey. What is Jesus getting at there? You're not really a disciple until it shows up in your obedience. How many people have said, I believe the gospel, but it's not showing up in their behaviors? That's what James says in James 1 and 2. He says, listen, faith without works is dead. And what he's saying there is not you have to work in addition to faith. He's saying, no, faith always leads to works. And so the operative issue that James was dealing with, I did a whole sermon series a couple summers ago about that. You can go listen to it on our website. James says, God knows, but he says, how will they know? How will they know if I have believed God? They will only know, because they can't see my heart, they will only know by my works. So here's what I'm trying to get you to see, all right? Our behavior is the way the world sees our beliefs. So I have not done my job as a pastor if I just preach the gospel and then don't help you apply it to your life, and it changes your behavior. Let me give you another example. Marriage. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 how to do marriage. Do you think what you believe about the gospel should inform how you love your spouse if you're married? Well, that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 5. In fact, that's the standard. He says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So if I believe the gospel that Christ loved me, then that will inform how I love my spouse, behavior. It will be informed by my beliefs. So if my behavior, let me say it to you like this. If you are in a marriage relationship and you are not exhibiting gospel behavior, it's because you don't believe fully gospel beliefs. 
You say, well, my wife doesn't deserve it. My husband doesn't deserve it. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you deserve for Christ to die for you? I don't think so. This is right when somebody, the spouse who is mad would, would say, preach it. You'll never love them until you understand the gospel. But if you understand the gospel, you better love them. So here's where I'm getting at. To the people, well-meaning people that would say, Pastor, just preach the gospel. Don't speak to racism. It would be a failure on my part. In the same way, it would be a failure to not tell you how to live your married life in light of the gospel. Of course, it's a gospel issue. Because if you say you believe that Jesus died for all people, how can you not love all people? If you say that Jesus came for every tongue, every tribe, every nation, how could you then not let that inform how you react and act and love other nations and other races? And that's the issue. And let me go a step further and please hear my heart. I want to speak for a moment to white Christians, of which I am one. I am authentically a believer in Jesus Christ, and I am authentically a white man in America. I can't not be those two things. But what has happened is there are a lot of well-meaning white Christians who when issues like this come up, try to dismiss, well, racism's not a problem anymore. This isn't an issue anymore. I mean, it's, it's not an issue where I live. Well, if you're a white person living prim primarily in a white area, yeah, it's probably not an issue. But we need to understand and I'm saying we, I need to understand better what it is like to be authentically a believer in Jesus Christ and a black man in America or a black woman in America. And the worst thing that I can do is not step into the suffering. And please understand, it is suffering hundreds of years of suffering and not affirm that and then also not do everything I can to use whatever influence I have to help. See, there's a lot of well-meaning white Christians that would say, well, I'm not racist. And you genuinely may not be. 
I, I feel like I could genuinely say, not only because the gospel of Christ, but just in the area I grew up in, the vast majority of my friends growing up were black. So I could genuinely, authentically say, I believe with integrity, I'm not racist. But one of the things I have learned over the last few weeks is not being, or being not racist is not enough. Here's why. Because of the gospel, I'm called to be anti-racist. It's not enough for me just not to live as a racist person. What has to become our standard of behavior because of our belief system that all people are created equal in the sight of God, what needs to become my behavior influenced by the gospel is I do everything that I can to tear down racism. That is gospel obedience. That is me stepping into the moment and applying my belief, listen to me, in word and deed. Not only believing that God loves all people and that heaven will be a diverse place. I believe that. But if my behaviors don't reflect that belief, then how will other people know I believe that? And another thing that is an issue a lot of times is we don't personalize it enough. I mean, I, I'm a psychology minor, and one of the biggest tests to how an event in the world how, how you feel about it, one of the biggest psychological determina determinations of how you respond to it is how close it is to you. Let me say it to you like this. If something happens on the other side of the world with someone you don't even know, it won't affect you that much psychologically. But the closer it gets to you, the deeper it affects you. This is why one of my really good friends who happens to be a black leader had told me, Jason, the issue is proximity. So we need to personalize it. And I was thinking about that this week. You know, we've done a lot of work in Kenya by God's grace. We planted churches in Kenya. We helped support the House of Hope in Kenya. I love Kenya. I love Kenyans. It's one of the highlights of my year going. And I thought about it like this. You know, Moses who leads a house of hope and leads a lot of our church planting. Pastor Jackson, who mentors all the pastors and helps plant the churches, kids that I support. If one of those people was taken from their home and sold into slavery, I would move heaven and earth to free them. I would give my dying breath and dollar to free them. 
That's what happened. That's what happened. And if you can't personalize that and step into that suffering, then you have a gospel problem. And, and the reason, and that's why I told you at the beginning, I want you to hear my heart as a pastor. In the same way, by the power of the Spirit of God living in me, I want to do everything that I can to help you have an obedient marriage. I want to do everything I can to help you have an obedient life. I want to do everything that I can to help you understand that this is an obedience issue. This is a gospel issue. Martin Luther King said it right. If we are silent and we are passive, then we are complicit. And so the best thing that we can do is step into this cultural moment as the church. And hear me, please. Please do not hear me saying what I am not saying. This is not a political issue. Please don't make it one. I don't care what side of the political fence you're on. Please do not quote me your favorite article from whatever liberal-leaning, conservative-leaning website that you like. Quote me the Bible. Quote me the scriptures. Get right belief in your soul. And then move out into your neighborhood and love your neighbor as yourself. Because I do not want to stand before God one day and have God say to me, Jason, those people you presented were kind of obedient, they were kind of holy. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us holy. We are righteous in Christ. That's not what I'm saying. This is why I said, I wouldn't have chose this if I was sane. But I'm insane. It's what Paul said in Corinthians. If we're out of our minds, it's for your sake. The reason I'm crazy is because of you. I meant that to be funny. but I'm more concerned about what God thinks about the value of our black brothers and sisters than I am concerned about what anybody else thinks. And if God thinks like that and the spirit of God is in me, how can I not think like that? How can I not use every resource I have to help with that? And you may say, well, there's other issues of injustice in the world too. Of course there is. But this historically is one of our biggest issues. And so we need to step into it as the church with the gospel message. 
and call out sinful behavior and do everything that we can to unravel the systems and structures that devalue people that God loves. So you may say, is this a racism sermon, Pastor? Yes. But this is a gospel sermon. I'm just applying it specifically to an issue to show you the implications of the gospel. Which is interesting because anytime I talk about marriage, people don't tell me, I'll just stick to the gospel, Pastor. Anytime we do a series on parenting, people don't say, well, would you just preach the gospel? So why would we say that to this issue? I'm gonna preach the gospel. Don't worry about that, brother. <laughs> Man, if y'all were here, y'all would be. Mm. I'm gonna preach the gospel. Look at what Paul says now. I better wrap this up. Verse 20 and 21. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. That's my ambition. I'm gonna make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. The problem with the church today is we have the wrong ambitions. The problem with Christians today is we have the wrong ambitions. So many of us, if we're honest, again, right belief, right practice, let's apply this. Our ambitions are worldly. So many of us, our ambitions are to retire rich. And we define rich by worldly wealth. Why? Because we have a belief that money makes us happy. Christians, we need new ambitions. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel. This is why my favorite quote, and I hope somebody reads it at my funeral. The ambition of my life is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's my ambition. Preach the gospel. And by preach the gospel, like I was saying earlier, my purpose is to present to God a people that are gospel people. And then I'm gonna die, and I don't want you to remember me. Remember the Jesus that I talked about. That's my ambition. And you heard the story, I've said it a thousand times, why so I told Lindsay, if you're not willing to live in a hut in Africa, don't marry me, because I don't have other ambitions, that's my ambitions. And now all she's like, when are we moving to Africa? When are we moving to Africa? I'm like, well, we'll go at least once a year. And please say, I'm not trying to say I'm holy. I am weird. But hey, God knew me from my mother's womb and set me apart, blame him. And my job when I say preach the gospel is exactly what God told Jeremiah, those six things, two thirds of it, is deconstructing. Here's what I want you to understand. A biggest part of discipleship is deconstructing 
bad beliefs and bad behaviors. And a third of discipleship is planting and building up new ones. There's a lot of us today who have behaviors and beliefs that need to be deconstructed. That's what I meant when I say anti-racism, doing everything I can to deconstruct it so that we can put something better in its place, which is informed by the gospel. And so our ambition, I love how he says this, preach the gospel, not when he's, where he's already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I can understand that. Because if you get the foundation wrong, you got everything wrong. If the foundation's wrong, everything is wrong. You can't build a healthy church on a bad foundation. And there's a lot of us as believers, we were born into a bad foundation. You were born into certain beliefs and behaviors. And when you come to Christ, he rebuilds that. He starts deconstructing all those beliefs all those behaviors that don't honor him. And then by the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the word and prayer that pastors are supposed to perform, a new one is constructed. That it reflects right doctrine and right behavior. So the best thing that any of us can do today is to quit so much, first and foremost, starting to look out there and starting to look in here and say, do I have the right beliefs and the right behaviors? Are there ways that I have treated people in the past that we're not informed by a gospel foundation? Are there things in my flesh? Are there ambitions that I have that are not informed by the gospel? Because if you're anything like me, there's still some things in your life that need to be deconstructed. And then as God does that in you, you move out from there. And you start to do everything that you can by the power of the Holy Spirit to deconstruct the other cultural sins. See, we don't just have a personal faith with Jesus. I'm not saying it's not personal. I'm saying it's not just personal. It also has to be public. We don't just have a personal theology. We need to have a public theology where we give our life, the ambitions of our life is to make sure that everybody else also has the right foundation. That everybody else, that's why Paul says, I'm satisfied because now you can instruct others. You can now help them understand how to have the right foundation. Listen, man, I'm like 20 minutes over. I know. We're like, we're probably already into the start of the next service. But this is important. Because again, my purpose is to present you as a people to God, as holy sanctified and righteous. 
right behaviors and right beliefs. So as a church, again, I'm praying that we step into this cultural moment and not just looking in ourselves to understand what needs to be deconstructed, but also around us. And then use every influence we have, every gift God has given us, make it our ambition to take the gospel to the streets until every person knows that they have inherent worth, value, and dignity because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And it's heavy sometimes, God. But God, I pray all of us would let your word speak. You would let your word tear down strongholds, deconstruct, tear up, root up behaviors and beliefs that are not honoring to you. Slavery, God, is a sin against you because how it devalues the very people you died for. But the reason why men committed acts of evil like that is because they were slaves to sin. The sun had not set them free yet. They did not understand that they could be a child of God and that they were sinning against children of God. So God, I pray if there is anybody listening today who doesn't know that they are who you say they are and that in Christ they can become sons and daughters of God, I pray right now you would save them. If that's you, You've never trusted Christ. Today you can trust him by simply saying and praying, Father, save me, a sinner. Forgive me. I'm trusting Christ alone. Thank you for loving me. If you trusted Christ today, you are now a child of God. The gospel has come to you and a foundation is being laid by the Holy Spirit and now he wants that to inform how you behave, how you live and that's a process called sanctification and we wanna help you with that. So if you trusted Christ today, we want you to let us know. So there's a number come up on your screen. You can reach out to us, you can text us. Let us know that you trusted Christ. We wanna follow up with you. But then those of us who have trusted Christ and the, the gospel is not informing your behaviors, then that's an obedience issue. That's a sinful issue and you need to deal with it. 
The good news is, like we said last week, God has grace for you again and again and again and again. So if you are a person, no matter what race you are, that have seen other races as less than you, that is a gospel issue. And you better check your beliefs and change them by the power of the Holy Spirit so that your behavior reflects it. And then let us as the church, if you have trusted Christ, step into society and what is plaguing our society at the moment is an issue that we have the solution for. So let's use the grace God has given us in Christ to set other people free. And yes, that is spiritually, but it is also physically. This is why we, we speak into racism, but this is also why we speak into homelessness. We speak into any issue in society where people need help. So I pray as the church, we will step into this moment. Again, I don't have all the answers, but what I know is this. I will not stand before God and say, I was too afraid to speak. Because doing the right thing over time is what leads to healing. And our nation needs to be healed and it will come through the church prophesying through the spirit about the gospel. Father, I pray that you would give us grace not only to believe, but behave, to live out our beliefs in Jesus' name. Amen.